0: And it's Steve Tasker who has been
1: all over the field. Kind of unique. He was kind of a dual-role fighter for you. Steve! A balloon. Steve! A blimp? <laughs> We're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy. Revving it up. Here we go as Steve's jingling the ice in his cup. I mean, he's he's had plenty of time to get ready. He is here. He has joined us.
2: I cannot. I was fresh
1: off the mountain time zone. I've
2: I've been telling everybody this. I was really, my feelings were really hurt (laughs) when they started training camp and I wasn't here. They just started without me.
1: Yeah, well, the train keeps on rolling, dude. Hop on or
2: get left at the station. So injured by that.
1: Yeah. Well, it happens sometimes, even to the best of us. But uh, we are here. On Tuesday, day three of training camp is in the books. And uh, we'll talk about what happened on the field in a little bit here. There are some interesting NFL news and notes, including a Tier 1 quarterback who had to undergo a surgical procedure today. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, Big show for you today, though. We've got defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier coming your way in the second hour of our program About 30 minutes from now, we will have one Kevin Clark joining us uh, as he will give us a little bit of a national perspective on the Bills. He's here at training camp today from the Ringer, so we'll get rolling on that uh, in due course. And, Steve, as, as much as we will be talking about day three here of camp today, the headline news across the league, Joe Burrow had to go get an appendectomy yeah, went under the right. knife. He'll be all right. It's a routine procedure, but he is missing practice time. Obviously, I mean, you get your abdomen cut open. It's you know, it's kind of time. But well, there's miss a, little a ramp up
2: period like we are. He's not missing that much. Missing no, I mean, yeah, it's no good for the team. But
1: I wonder how long because the
2: incision. Here, let me just tell you, I got my I got my appendix out on a Tuesday. You did. I was golfing Friday.
1: Really? Oh yeah, yeah and that requires a lot of yeah torque I, there. I, I had a, no issues. Okay, well, he'll be back throwing a football in about three days then. Probably. Yeah it's yeah whole not not as headlining as we thought maybe then all right well i mean that's, i'm a little disappointed yeah, that stinks but yeah um, i know you had a comment privately about kyler murray's clause in his contract in his new contract that mandates he put in 4 hours of study time every game week Dude. you and i have set our piece on kyler murray that is that is a how now, that it's we, sh- out I now. Should, we should have asked Brandon Bean when we saw him on the sidelines this morning how uncommon that clause might be in a contract. That
2: is, that is the first one I've ever heard of. Like ever that. heard of.
1: that? Right. That doesn't mean it's uncommon. I'm just curious. I'm wondering how uncommon it is. It would seem uncommon to me. Now, there are other. Well, that's true. You have to put a clause in the contract that essentially says, I need you to study more. Need you to, yeah.
2: Yeah. We're not, and we're if not you liking, don't, it will void. We're liking
1: your, we're not liking your approach to the game. Yes, exactly. Which you don't often hear publicly. The last time I can recall such a situation was Billy Joe Hobart here in the late late nineties. Yeah, you know, when he basically said, "I didn't study the playbook."
2: Um, when that, yeah, and when that happened, he lasted less than twenty-four he hours. Was right. yeah, he was promptly released. Promptly uh, released. It, it's not a good look. Well, There's just no other way to slice it. Now, Kyler Murray has always said, he has been quoted as saying, he's, and I'm not one of those guys that goes in, studies our I guess I see it on the field and I, and I get it, you know, because I he just does not see, doesn't get the connection between watching it on film and studying it and breaking all the other team down and then transferring it over to the field as being that much of a difference maker for him. So I, I'm not sure the Arizona Cardinals feel the same way, well, clearly. Mean, if you're going to pay the guy nine digits yeah it doesn't matter,
1: make sure you know what you're getting
2: yeah uh, you've better put the work in and yeah so i'm it you can imagine that football players like me, old guys who are you know we're all crotchety and we you know we're all <laughs> yeah, we're shouting at clouds, I
1: know, but man, oh man, that does not fly that does not fly at all no, and it's i think it's a at least a little alarming. That the Cardinals feel it necessary to put that in the contract. Well, and here's the thing too: Kyler Murray ex- said yes to it,
2: and you knew it was going to you knew it was going to come out. And now it's, I heard a, a question, you know, on social media: Is it were they brilliant by putting that in there, or were they incredibly stupid? And I'll say this: It does posture them for wiping their hands clean of him in the future. Gives them an out. It gives them an out. Yeah. And I and I think for that reason, it's pretty smart. Plus. I'm pretty sure they didn't put that in there if there weren't, wasn't some concern on the football side of it from Cliff yeah. Kingsbury and the group that said, listen, I, there are certain things he's not seeing or there are certain things that we don't know if he's getting or he, we're telling him this stuff and he's not doing it because I don't think he you know, spends enough time on it. Right. Uh, there's no question something in that organization said, hey, you know what, <laughs> we should really get him to, uh, you know." and it says it's undistracted time four hours of undistracted study of the game plan it's yeah yeah it just
1: reeks of laziness yeah so we'll see where that one goes it's like hey congratulations here's your money we're backing up the brink struck you're a franchise guy but yeah he's not to do this yeah he's not the
2: first guy that's ever that that's ever had that question about him and and stories come out after guys get out of the league. Um, you know, Jamarcus Russell is notoriously a big bust. And you know, the guys with uh, the Raiders, you know, say we're gonna send him send this DVD home with you. Uh, make sure you watch it. And there's some stuff on it. You know, some plays and it's that red yeah. zone stuff. You know, you know, whatever. Uh, and they'd hand the guy a blank CD. They'd hand him a blank DVD. And come back say, what do you think? He says, yeah, it was good. I <laughs> So he would comment on a blank DVD uh, so that told them all they needed to know about how much work he was di- putting in on it away from the, wow. from the stadium. So that, that's one of the stories that you hear going around. I, I don't know whether it's true or not. There are people who swear that it, it is. Maybe it is. But that's the kind of thing teams know about yeah. players when they see them every day, all day.
1: Let's talk about practice here today at St. John Fisher. And day three, as we said, in team segments there was a focus on first and second down there was also a focus on single receiver sets which gave the bills the opportunity to put three linebackers on the field defensively we'll talk to leslie frazier the defensive coordinator in the second hour of the show about that but uh, well you know your first day out there kicking around what, what were your early thoughts here today anything catch your eye um
2: yeah i mean i was joking about them starting without me i mean I, we've I've sat through one or two of these and it really is. And I'm sure some of the veterans feel like this too, particularly the coaches about, man, you fall into a routine and it just seems like, wow. Okay. You know, it's, this is my millionth rep through this stuff. But like always, there are young players that you look for guys like, um, Khalil Shakir, you know, James Cook, um, the young linebacker, uh, Ben Terrell Ther- Bernard, Bernard, um, You're watching them and see how they fit in, what they look like. And, you know, and some of these young guys, um, and everybody, there's always guys out there who flash. Like, wow, he's having, you know, first couple of days at camp, he looks like he's fitting in, looks like Mm -hmm. he's doing really well. And and we say it all the time, there's there's no football going on. There's no pads going on. But you see these guys that, you know, particularly a guy like Cook, it just seems easy for him, you know, whether he, whether it's kind of his style or whatever, catching the ball, running the routes, uh, finishing plays, uh, making guys miss. It just seems like he is absolutely in – he just looks so easy. He looks glide, he's just gliding, you know. And uh, not that he's not going hard, just making it look casual, very easy, like this is not too big for him. So I'm. Uh, that was fun to see. Uh, and, of course, uh, Kair Elam, <laughs> he – he really wants to play, um, and he wants to play against everybody. Uh, he and Diggs—I mean, they were—you know—they're John. Josh was, Josh was getting into John. They, you know, there's a lot of talking going on, and of course, there's no pads on, so you really can't get into the competition of it. But the fact that he's that confident and playing as well as he is um, athletically—it's just a lot of fun to go out there yeah. and see these young players. Probably
1: is still getting up to speed on playing off coverage which, as we know, the Bills play a fair amount of here. He's used to playing press man, and he's trying to learn it on the fly against an all-pro in Stephon Diggs and the number two wideout in Gabe Davis. So there's a learning curve there, and that's another topic we'll address with defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier when we get him on the second hour of the show. We're also taking your phone calls at 803-0550, 550 2550 Topic of the day today how do you best get your information from Bill's training camp and the preseason? A, through reports like the ones we provide. B, your own eyes and ears. Or C, watching preseason games. So feel free to chime in on that. Uh, open line for you there at 803-0550. We should mention not participating at practice today. Jamison Crowder and Jay Kumaro. So they were down two wide receivers today. Both are extreme experiencing muscle tightness and soreness, so they kind of back them off. That's what the sports science tells them to do. They were doing some stuff on the side with the strength and conditioning staff, but they took them out of practice today, and the that, and second day that yep. Jamison Crowder has missed. That's
2: sports science because, you know, back in the day you just keep going and load management. Yeah, it's load management, that. but they, they don't – and it's smart. I mean, it, t- it takes a little bit of patience and uh, – And knowledge on the part of the coaching staff, for one, knowing the guy's not going to practice, and two, trusting the training staff to, and and here's the thing, they take this day, they get this day off, they don't just go over there and sit in the lawn chair and watch practice, they've got them working lightly off to the side, getting the stiffness out, and and they're getting back into it, so uh, smart move, because like we said, this team stays healthy, and having the patience to let guys have a day off, even at a point where they're going to have plenty of time to come back if they get injured or whatever, um, is really important, and it works really well for this club. Uh, It's another nod towards how they stay
1: so healthy. They're very cautious about letting guys go out and play when they're not comfortable. guy that uh, I learned something about today was the rookie linebacker Terrell Bernard. Just watching him line up in the defense, I paid a little bit more attention to uh, the unit he's in charge of and he he sees it fast he reacts to it faster he just comes across as a very instinctive player and i liked what i saw from him in terms of reading the opposing offense in the team segments of practice there is just it's clear to me that he sees it quickly and if you're mike linebacker sees it first that's a good thing yeah because now you can communicate that to as many people as possible before the snap even happens because there were a couple plays out there where he's he's yelling you know it's coming this way coming you know like he knows what's coming yeah and he's alerting everybody else hey this is the play that's coming get yourself aligned properly or cheat if you need to to stop the and thwart the play um did that on more than one occasion today. We, we, we have to ask uh, Leslie Frazier when he comes on about the difference, because
2: you're right. Um, Bernard is, is almost the exact opposite of the type of player that Tremaine Edmonds is Tremaine has big physical guy, huge, big long arms and is kind of a, of an a equals B, B equals C kind of thing. guy. You know, it's like really slotted and it's, it's math right. for him and everything has its place. Um, Bernard strikes me as a guy who he's, he doesn't care what the call is. He knows where it's going. He's going to go. Um, yeah, there's really, no hesitation. He's really on the instinctive, field. and he's also a slight. He's not very big. Uh, if there's a detriment to him, it's the fact that he's not big. Um, but he is fast. But he's fast. Yeah, he's fast. He's a little like Milano, more like more than Edmonds. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I'm gonna have to ask uh, Leslie Frazier when he comes on about you know having if you, those two guys are your two inside line, one backs up the other, does that, when one goes in and the other's not, do you change your defensive calls because of that? Yeah. We'll have to ask him that when he comes okay.
3: on.
1: So uh, we look forward to that conversation, hour number two of the show. Uh, we do want to get to some phone calls here because we got some people waiting, and we'll do that here now as uh, joining us on the line and leading us off today is Chance in Alabama. Chance, what do you have for us? You're on One of Bills Live.
4: Hey, for taking the call. <clears throat> sure. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. two years ago when, when uh, Josh was runner-up MVP, we ran four wide a lot. So uh, I'm calling. Maybe you guys should uh, could shed some in on. Uh, I'm just confused who the fourth receiver is when we go four wide. I know we got two good tight ends, O.J. Howard and Dawson Knox. And I know we got a ton of slot receivers, it seems like. But I'm just worried if. Gabriel Davis or uh, Diggs gets nicked up, who's going to be that other guy? <clears throat> Does that make sense?
1: Out- You're yeah, talking yeah. about outside?
4: Yeah, outside receivers. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know we're good is. in the slot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just worried. Yeah, we got um, nicks.
1: Okay, Chance, yeah, okay. we're having trouble with the connection here, so uh, thanks for the call. Uh, he's worried about outside receiver depth, which is something right. that we've talked about too, and – I do know this because Brandon Bean explained this on air uh, this morning. He said that Isaiah Hodgins worked some with Gabriel Davis on lining up outside this offseason, even though his history is in the slot as well. He's going to have to make some plays just to make this roster, I think. Right. But he could be a consideration. Jay Kummer obviously has been here more for special teams than anything else, but he is a tall outside target. He would factor into that equation. And even though Khalil Shakir's best position is probably the slot, he has experience lining up outside as well. And so I think he could be a consideration for yeah. that. As far as one, two, three, four, I think right now you're probably looking at Diggs, Davis, McKenzie, and. Jamison Crowder. That would be my guess Right at this point in time. Right. Um, but That's, as far but as answers outside, you're not yeah, going to have plus. perfect fits behind Diggs and Davis necessarily. And I remember having this conversation. Yeah, The Bills did go a lot of four wide
2: two years ago when Josh was runner-up the MVP, mm-hmm. but, but even though they did go a lot of four wides compared to everybody else, it was only like 14% of their offensive snaps. I yes. mean, it wasn't a big number. It's like 11%. It was a big number in the league. In the league it was a big number, but it wasn't. The majority of their plays. It wasn't the plays. majority of their plays. So, yeah, there was a little bit of that going on, but you're talking about you know
1: one out of every ten snaps or so being four wide. And after in week one, and, and, when they ran a ton of four wide last year, and it didn't work very well against the Steelers because, for some reason, Buffalo's six could not block Pittsburgh's four, right. which rendered that approach ineffective. Right. It changed the approach of the offense because – 10 personnel didn't show up much after right. that the rest of the season. What happens when you get in –
2: if you're a team like Buffalo, you'll run 14% of your plays um, out of four wide. But 90% of those 14% – of that 14% will be against two teams. You know what I'm saying? They'll run 10 personnel a bunch – in this game and a bunch in that game or maybe against one of their division opponents, mm-hmm. they'll play them twice. And the bulk of that 14% really actually comes in two, maybe three games. And then the rest of the season, you don't hardly run it's at all. Meal. Exactly. It's game plan specific. It's not something that's theirs that, that they want to run all the time. They use it when they need it and they use it a bunch when they do need it. And so um, it's not something that, you know,
1: and they won't run it if they don't have the people. So it's that simple as well. Let's go back to the phones, and waiting for us there is Dan in Rochester. Um, let me pull him up here. Hey, Chris. Dan, what do you have for us? You're on One Bills hey, Live.
4: Steve. Hey, Steve and Chris, doing? thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. sure. Uh, I'm worried about all the hype and stuff. With uh, I've been a Bills fan forever, about the hype of them and the predictions and stuff, about going all the way and all that stuff. Steve, you went through it, uh, but. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's what's bothering me. You know, I hope they go all the way, but you know. Well, you think the mentality yeah, of the, the team, I and, think they're great, but here, you know, it's you know.
2: Yeah, let me don't take heart. Uh, they lived here last year too. Um, they lived with those expectations last year. They came off a 2020 year where they got put out of the AFC Championship game. Uh, we came into last season. I say we. The Bills came into last season. Exactly in the spot they're at. Now, certainly the fans are on board with it, maybe a little bit more than they were a year ago, but that's nationally for sure. But last year coming into that, this very same spot when the, they were having training camp in Orchard Park again, the people in this building and Bills fans in particular had huge expectations for the team. Now the fact that it's national makes it a little different, but this is, this is familiar territory for Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, Leslie Frazier, Ken Dorsey. Uh, all the coaching staff and all the players that were here or have been here the last two or three years, they've lived with these expectations, and their expectations have not changed at all. Even if the national media expectations have grown, this is a team that expects it, so they're living with it and they're going to be fine with it. And I know you can you know, the hocus pocus of uh, superstition uh, tells us that you know they got no shot now that they're supposed to win it, right? So uh, when in actuality uh, it is what it is, they earned these expectations. They have not. It's not just about playing offensively, almost perfect at the end of last season. It's also about the off season they put together and the work that they've done and the players they've added and the players they've detracted from. You know that that have gone away, the way they've handled it and where they sit now. Um, You earn these expectations and and when you get them, and and I've been part of a team that had expectations like this. uh, You welcome it. You don't shy away from it.
3: Yeah,
1: and and we heard Josh address that to some degree on day 1 of camp when he said the mindset has to be different. And the reason it has to be different is because they have to find a way to get over the hump, something they have not been able to do each of the last 2 years with playoff losses in Kansas City. And so whether they feel they need a more hardened nature to their daily approach, whether they feel they got to be more nasty on the field, I don't know what it is, but they've clearly thought about it, contemplated it and have put themselves in a position here coming into this camp where they feel by the time they come out of this camp, they better have a firm grasp of just who they are as a football team because, as Josh said it on Sunday, we can't be who we were last year. We have to be better than that if we want to get to where right. we want to be. Yeah. And whatever character makeup, philosophical makeup you feel you need to embody as a team, they got to find what that is. And put it into practice. Yeah, I'll say this: they don't need to change up too much.
2: I mean, they don't—they don't need to change or transform themselves um, in much of anything. They were—I've said it before. I'm going to say it again on the air. They were good enough two years ago to go to and win the Super Bowl when they got beat by two touchdowns by the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. They were good enough then. They were good enough last year with the 13-second game. Um, and they're going to be good enough again this year. But it comes down – you've got to play well on that day when it's win or go home. When yeah. you get yourself the chance to get in the tournament like they did against the New England Patriots this last year, you play well enough on that day and you thump them and you move on. you got to play well on that day. That's what it boils down to for this team. you got to have the wherewithal and the level of confidence and a level of excellence in your preparation and all of that, which they do to get to that game and play well in that game because if you play well in that game you're going to you're going to win it that's the only missing ingredient they you're not going to play in a vacuum that other team's pretty good too and if they play well you got to make plays yeah but there's nothing there's no magic ingredient that the, that this team needs to do or add that is going to transform them all of a sudden into a contender. Certainly great players help. Von Miller helps, no question. Gabe Davis is going to, emerging is going to help. The the additions on the defense, all that guy. It's, but it's a different team now. So it's different. It's not that team from last eight months ago, nine months ago. It's a new team, and they got to start it from the ground up. So they're going to be good enough. They're going to get a chance to go. But on those games, when you've got to win or your season's over, that's when you got to bring it. You've got to give yourself a chance to get in that tournament yep. and play well on that day. That's, that's what they got to do.
1: Break time for us here. When we come back, we're going to be joined by senior NFL writer from The Ringer, Kevin Clark. He spent the last couple of days out here at training camp. We'll get his thoughts on Bills Camp and the league at large when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, and pleased to be joined now by senior NFL writer from the Ringer, Kevin Clark, who has been taking in the first few days of training camp. He's been here from the start. Uh, Kevin, thanks for taking some time, stopping by here. We know you're busy. but It was funny. You said simple reason why you're here. Nobody else is practicing right
4: now, right? <laughs> I couldn't make it to Vegas, yeah. so yeah. I went to Rochester first. I'm beautiful Pittsburgh, and, yeah. and I'm having a great time. Can't yeah.
1: complain. The weather's been outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we get to maybe some of your impressions of what you've seen out here on the practice field and maybe some of the conversations you've had in your time here with players, coaches, front office people, I want to kind of take an overarching look Mm -hmm. at the McDermott-Bean tenure. What what would you say are the most noticeable changes from the start of this thing in 2017 to where we are at now here in 2022?
4: With the exception of the COVID year, I've been – to camp every single yeah. year, um, including, I mean, back to the Buddy Nix-Chan Gale era. Oh, wow. I've been, okay. I've seen a lot of bad football on both of these fields here. you yes, and me Quite both. frankly. Mm-hmm. And you guys have seen far more of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I'll say is that um, you notice it in everything, in everything. And what's interesting about McDermott and Bean is you felt the foundation was right before you saw the results on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was a change from maybe previous regimes. It was interesting because I did a story last year – about talking to Josh and Sean and Brandon about just the lessons other teams can take uh, about Josh's success and how they built this team over the the process of of, of four years. And everything along the way made sense. They didn't try to force it. You know, Um, they didn't want him to play that first year uh, when they were basically clearing out the salary cap, taking the biggest dead cap charge in the history. Uh, But then the line got sorted out. The skill guys got sorted out. And the the marriage between Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott is as good as any coach and GM uh, pairing in this league. And so I think that you see it in every facet, whether it's just how practice is run, sports medicine, whatever it is, uh, everything has been upgraded over the course of of these five years. It's really special to see.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting as well. The the growth, you know, happens and it, it. now they're a part of a different group. I mean, before it was like, wow, can we get, can we get over that hump? Can we yeah. beat the Patriots? Can we do all this stuff? Can we, can we get competitive to have a shot at the playoffs yeah. kind of thing? Now they're part of a different group. Mm-hmm. They're part of the Kansas City Chiefs, the Green Bay Packers, yeah. the L.A. Operation. Rams. They're, they're up and part of those teams that people are looking at going, all right, how far are they going to go this year? Um, the sky's the limit. How, what, what do you see in that conversation, particularly in the AFC? you got Russell Russell Wilson in the conference. you got Matt Ryan in the conference now. You know, there's some things that have changed.
4: The barrier for entry to be an AFC contender is as high as I've ever seen it in any conference ever. Because you think about a team like the Raiders that went out and got Devontae Adams. They already had a pretty good quarterback in Derek Carr. That might not matter at all. You took the best receiver in the NFL – and it might not improve your position at all in that division. When you think about the Broncos, might be third in that division starting out. The Chargers have all that talent. They brought in guys who are pretty special. And then the Chiefs are, are still the, the kind of the, the benchmark in that in that conference. Um, then you think of a team like the Bengals, who they made the, the Super Bowl. I'm not even sure that they're 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 in the top three right now for me. Um, and it's not like they've they've lost a lot of talent. It's just yeah. the barrier for entry is so high. I think that the Bills are a top three team. I think it comes down to, and I know Bills fans are going to want to hear this, luck, injury sure. luck, fumble luck, sure. one play. You think about that loss in Kansas City. That was partly, you know, clock luck, whatever it is. Um, I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And I think that it, it would not surprise me if any one of five, six teams in the AFC win, win the conference this year. And that's not normal at all.
1: Yeah. You mentioned when I asked the first question that it's the vision mm-hmm. that has been consistent throughout. What is the biggest difference about this 2022 edition of the Bills as you see it?
4: The guy calling the plays? Um, and that, that, that's what I was out here focusing on is what's yeah. this going to look like? What—what right. um, what, The Brian Dable, we, we talked about being a McDermott. Daybull allen pretty good pairing also, Um, as good as it gets, and and one of the best coaching jobs we've seen. A lot of that had to do with just how special Josh was and and wanting to be coached and and the growth Mm -hmm. there. But Ken Dorsey's been here the whole time. I talked to Josh yesterday about that, and he basically said it's so important for a guy. uh, First of all, continuity is important. But second of all, it's so important that he's been sitting next to dayball for five years uh four years and and basically been able to say hey uh josh doesn't like these concepts you know don't, don't even think about putting this sort of concept in that's important and that's the kind of hitting the ground running thing that you guys uh the, the bills need because it's not like you can spend the first month getting doing chemistry tests here and yeah, making right sure huh? right. hey how, how do you like to meet whatever you don't have to do any of that stuff um this is going to be hitting the ground running the partnership's going to be good i talked to a couple people both josh and matt barkley and ken himself this is going to be a, a flexible adaptive offense, you know Ken when he was at the university of miami wasn 't a lot, you know, not a lot of quarterback runs, not a, yeah, very, right. very pro pro style drop back heavy um, and he 's not that that guy anymore he 's learned a lot about the game he was cam newton 's quarterback coach uh, in carolina so I think you're going to be able to see so much of his football education on the field.
2: How long do you think it will be? Because i and I said this, I've said this in interviews and when we're talking here as well. There is going to be a difference between yeah. Ken Dorsey and Brian Dable. You just can't get around it. How long do you think, or how deep into the season do you think we're going to get before we go? Hey, you know, I see a little bit more of this. Now, you know, yeah, before like like people like me, like sure. me and soccer moms and, you know, <laughs> you know the, the clerk at the store, we can sure. all see the difference. How long is it going to take for that to, to take I away?
4: asked Matt Barkley that exact, exact question today. Um, and he, he said you're not going to see it immediately because they're not – Gonna, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? right? And they're not going to come in and say, hey, we're going to be a two-back you know, passing right, offense. Right. We're going to go two tight ends. Now they're going to do some of that. I mean, obviously Brian Dable went five wide a lot last year, and that was, they had a lot of success with that. It was really interesting to see. But I think that in general, what you're going to see is Ken Dorsey has a very flexible and adaptive mind. And I think he's going to be open to – I mean, you guys have seen this in the past. I'd go to New England in, in year 14, and Tom Brady was was the offensive coordinator. Okay, right. You'd see Peyton Manning in Denver. Yes. He was he was running that offense. Okay? Absolutely. And Josh Allen's not in year 15. He's not in year 14, but he's in year 5. And you're going to see more ownership of the offense from mm-hmm. him in a collaborative process. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's going to be a huge change. A lot of people around him have said um, – and Ken himself has said it's going to be a lot of day bowl principles. But I think you will see him – um, in part, his, his his footprint. I just don't know what that looks like yet, and I don't think they do either. Yeah,
1: the you mentioned you think the Bills are a top three team. Mm-hmm. Vegas obviously has the shortest odds on them for winning the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. How likely
4: is that? I
1: mean, the first seven games are a bear.
4: Yeah, that's the first place schedule for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, I I think it's it's fairly likely. I don't. Here, here's the thing, AFC West. You think about it. If the Chiefs don't make the playoffs, I'm not gonna, you know, jump into the ocean or something. Like it it, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing, only because there's four really good teams in yeah. that conference. A little a- cannibalism out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And, and and you start to you know, maybe Mahomes missed a couple games and all of a sudden things go south, right? That that's it. The AFC East is not that. And so when I'm handicapping the the, the, the teams in the AFC could get there. Um, I think the Bills have a little bit of an advantage because there's not – I mean, the Jets are not going to be very good. The Dolphins are still a work in progress. The the Patriots, I feel, have the ceiling on them. So I feel the most confident in saying that the Bills are going to win the division out of any AFC team. (laughs) And so that gives them the easiest path, in my view, because I know they're going to be in the playoffs in January. Mm -hmm. I know they'll have a home playoff game at some point. Maybe um, Again, the first seven games, as you said, are a bear starting out – Against LA um, in a game that's always emotionally charged will hurt, uh, but I think they're going to figure this out. I- I'm not too worried, and I think that they're a a, a Final Four team to me, uh, which is you know basically AFC Championship level for me.
2: Yeah, and we talk a lot about the quarterbacks around, the, and particularly now in the AFC, you've got you know it's a long list. It mm-hmm. goes ten deep in a sixteen team conference that. You, they got a quarterback that's got some chops. Yep. One of the things I've I've noticed about Josh this year, and you mentioned the ownership of the offense, is that it seems like now he's coaching guys yep. up. I mean, he's talking to him between plays, saying he wants this. He, want, he before that he was worried about his own game. Mm-hmm. He was dropping back. He was throwing it. Uh, now he would, you know, last year he did it a little bit more, particularly at the end of the mm-hmm. season. But now he's starting the season where he's having conversations where he is a little bit more like those guys you mentioned, an offensive coordinator type. Uh, do you see that, and, and how big a step is that?
4: Well, I think part of it is Josh is a extremely comfortable in his surroundings because you think about not just the continuity, but you know the way that this team was built as far as you know cap cap relief the first year, the line the second year, the skill guys the third year, fourth year, last year. Be Josh basically said everything is in place. That remains true now, and so I think that what you're seeing now is Josh saying, I've got everything I need to be able to do anything on this football field, where, again, that's go five wide, two running backs, whatever, throw to the back. Doesn't matter. He can do it all. And now I think he sees the vision, and I think he's more comfortable saying this is what I want. Mm. Ken's going to help with that. Um, The backups are, you know, Matt Matt Barkley talking to him today, I was hugely impressed with just just sort of the the, the broad vision of everybody knows what they want this offense to be. Mm. And I think within that, a guy like Josh, who's coming into his own in his fifth year, understands – where, where people should be on a football field and how to get them there.
1: Of the three days you've been here, Kevin, is there a new piece or two
4: that you feel has kind of stood out a little bit, maybe caught your eye? Um, yeah, I'll stop you right there. Uh, Safety Josh Thomas said he listens to our podcast, so he's number one. <laughs> so we're, right, so we're <laughs> the best player on the team. Um, he stopped me on the field out there. Um, is there a new piece? I mean, I, I, think, I think that uh, when you have a dynamic running back, I think that we get we that that conversation starts to eat itself a little bit, where it's oh, should you take a, a running back in the second round? Yeah. Take him in the first round, and you know, for someone like uh, you know, wh- whether that's Cook or, or you know, taking a receiver in the fourth round. I think that this offense is going to be really, really, really interesting. Um, and I think they're going to be able to do so many different things. Um, Von Miller is one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, I've spent. 30, 40 minutes with him a couple of years ago. And was probably one of the, the most interesting interviews I've ever had in my life. I actually saw him yesterday. We, we chatted a little bit. I'll tell you a story. I was going to tweet this. Um, but when Vaughn was walking in, he stopped some of the staffers because he, he had some suggestions on how to sign more autographs because he, he was coming in and he was saying you know i don 't know if I was able to get to everybody like maybe we should just switch it up so I can sign more autographs like wow that's i 've never heard that before i 've been to a lot of camps i 've never heard that before, yeah. um, so that 's a culture guy that 's a guy who knows how to do it, and he 's also just still good mean I covered the Super Bowl he 's still a really, really, really good player um, i, I, I can 't so I think on both sides of the ball you 're going to see you know." The Bills are in the arms race. We talked about the AFC. Every team is getting better, seems like, weekly, and the Bills were a part of that on both sides of the ball, and I think that you see that in this roster.
2: When you uh, go down the list of things you've looked at in, offensively with mm-hmm. the weapons, like guys like James Cook, you mentioned him yeah. in passing. Um, O.J. Howard is now a member of this team. Yep. Uh, Gabe Davis is now elevated to the number two. Um, Josh Allen is, is who he is. Um, how do you anticipate you know, with Jamison Crowder, who yep. was who. One of the reasons, one of the bills signed him is it makes the Jets worse and us better, <laughs> uh, right? Because Jamison Crowder's hurt this team yeah. uh, when the with played the Jets. he He's, he's been, only got one
1: season with less than fifty catches, right? So
2: he's a guy that you know has made his presence. So all these new yep. pieces come in uh, to an offense that has that was really, really. You know, on yeah. fire at the end of last season. What do you see in this point in training camp, if anything?
4: It starts with Gabe Davis. I mean that that is that is a guy who his his floor is high, his ceiling is incredible, um, and I think you're going to see. I think I don't play fantasy football, but everybody I do I know who does is obsessed with with a guy like <laughs> Gabe Davis because <laughs> you just think about the numbers he's going to be able to put up on the other side. I and mean, Stephon Diggs is who he is. Uh, I, I think that you're going to see some really really interesting stuff. So. I expect it, it was amazing. One of the things I've, I've talked to these guys about is when when the New England playoff game it was statistically the perfect it was. game. Literally yes. the first game in history, no turnovers, no field goals, no punts. Okay, so how do you improve on perfection? That to me is the question I asked Josh yesterday. I said, "What's your motivation when you did all you could last year? You know, I mean, well, how do you how do you kick it into an extra gear?" And you know, his answer was probably. What you think it was Which is we didn't win at all um, yeah. And so he, you think about that Every single day uh, But I think that's the most Interesting thing to me Is is how do you maintain that level um, What happens if you get A couple of injuries And listen it wasn't perfect Josh said that yesterday to me He said I think people Have forgotten a little bit In you know Mid-season last year People were I don't know He may have been exaggerating But he said people would tell him They're not going to make the playoffs right. um, And it wasn't You know Mahomes had Similar struggles um, Probably even more struggles In the middle of last season um, So I think we're going to see maybe a more uh, complete team because of the weapons, but the the, the bar is so high yeah. off of what Day Bowl established last year. Yeah. So um, I think even being 90% of what it was last year would be quite an accomplishment, guys.
1: How does a number one defense in a handful of different categories from last year get better? I mean, yeah. they felt their weakness was the pass rush. They felt that was one of the reasons 13 seconds happened, yep. uh, let alone – the third and fourth quarter of that game where they couldn't stop them yep. and the Chiefs couldn't stop the Bills. Is it, is it an oversimplification to say – they felt they had to improve the pass rush. They did it, and they'll be an even better defense this year because of it.
4: Yeah, um, that was the thing. So this time last year, I, I talked to Brandon Bean about this, and he said they wanted to improve the pass rush in the draft because that's how you beat the Chiefs. And I'm here, and they're saying they need to improve Same the thing. pass rush right, because right. that's how you beat the Chiefs. Right. Um, they know where, where the barrier is, and, and frankly, it's a nice problem to have. You know, I mean, there's 20 teams right now who are saying we just want to make the playoffs, we want to get the seven seed, whatever, and and the the. Bills know what the benchmark is, and it's the Kansas City Chiefs. There's not a right. lot of teams that can do that and say, we want to beat this team. Um, they, didn't, they didn't do it last year, but the, the way to do it is to keep getting in that arms race and keep adding. Yeah, so right. uh, we, we, we know what they need to do, and they frankly in the offseason done all they can
2: well you can say what you want about the pass rush we've talked about it here at length there's this debate between coverage and pass rush and certainly the bill's secondary is solid as any in the nfl goes five across the board and they're all really good when they're all healthy even we haven't seen kair elam play a snap yet athletically he's there Tradavius white comes back whenever it is is going to play like he plays uh and the rest the pass rush i mean the problem is if, if your pass rush wins all of a sudden you're you don't sack Pat Mahomes. You just end up chasing him around. Right. You don't sack Lamar Jackson. You end up chasing him around. Uh, you don't sack you know some of these guys. Russ Wilson. Russ Wilson you know, yeah, you yeah. don't sack him. You chase him around. Der- Derek Carr, the same thing. Um, so this pass rush, while it's nice, it also sets the offense up for a guy like Josh Allen, yep. who you don't sack. You just chase uh, to get Nicky with a big play. And wh- where is the balance, and how do you? sack these guys rather than end up just,
4: like I said, chasing them around. I've seen the same studies you have uh, about, you know, PFF and and those sites saying it's more important to have coverage than, than defensive line. I, maybe I'm old school. Sounds like we both are. Uh, I want, the front four getting pressure all the time. Now, you could be a team like the Dolphins which last year had the number one pressure rate in the NFL and it hurt them because they had to send so many guys to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can get consistent four or five man pass rush, that that that's what I'd like to build my team around. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, we saw that with the Legion of Boom and yep. they were it was in, in my opinion their Super Bowl win was mm-hmm. the greatest defensive performance mm-hmm. of all time in a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Because of the offense. Even they were better going than the
1: 85 against. Bears. That was but, 46-10, man.
2: No, it was better. Because, <laughs> really, because of the okay. offense they yes. faced. Peyton Manning' offense with the Denver Broncos in that Super Bowl against the Seahawks okay. Okay. was not just good; it was number one, record-breaking yeah. juggernaut. You're right. They it was a lot better than Tony Easton and the Patriots. Tony Easton and the Patriots, I'll I'll Patriots were like you. ranked 16 <laughs> in, a, in a 32 team league. I'll give that in. to you. Uh, so the and plus to your point, the reason I brought that up, mm-hmm. the Legion of Boom was they got pressure right away yep. with just four guys. Yep. You know, Calais, Campbell, all those you know, Judah, all those guys. Quick pressure with just four guys, and all of a sudden you got seven guys in the secondary all the time, and you got to get rid of it quick. There's just nowhere to throw it. It also
4: builds on itself because not only do you, you know the Sam Darnold seeing ghosts thing, that's yes. pretty common if, if, <laughs> if, there's, if there's a lot of pressure. The other thing is, you know, I was listening to to Chris Long talk about this a couple of days ago on his podcast, and a lot of times, I think we overlook how what a toll physicality can put in a game. You know, he was talking about how, you know, everyone says nobody ever wants, you know, running backs don't matter. But when you're tackling Zeke Elliott in November – it matters. Sure they it matter. Does. You know, yeah. and, and it's just you're, you're, you're stuck in hell for, for 60 minutes. And so I think that there's um, – when you have a dominant pass rush, you're also just hitting guys, you know, and you're getting the quarterback and he's getting hurt. And I, mm-hmm. I, I understand that having two shutdown corners on the outside might frustrate them, but it's not hurting them. It's not that level of physicality. So I'm right. in agreement with you on, on, the, on that.
1: Yeah, and that's why Steve often references the Mike Tyson quote. Everybody's got a yep. plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and that's what the Bills are hoping to do to uh, opposing offenses this year. Kevin, thanks very much for the of time. Appreciate your we time. appreciate you carving out some for us, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you later on in the season. Enjoy the 2022 that. campaign. We'll be watching your stuff on The Ringer.
4: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: All right, that's Kevin Clark joining us here, senior NFL writer for The Ringer. We'll take a break. Be back with more here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, it's summer, and Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott, wants us all thinking about sun defense. Coach is passionate about skin cancer prevention as it runs in his family, and he takes sun protection very seriously. Most importantly, of course, is wearing sunscreen. Right now, you can stop by your local Wegmans for all of your sun protection needs. Wegmans will donate $1 for every Wegmans sunscreen product sold through August 31st in Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse area stores. It's a great way to protect your family and help the fight against skin cancer and think sun defense like Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott. And we should tell you, if you are going to be attending training camp, there will be a sunscreen booth to get you completely covered and protected. You'll be using some of these Wegmans products like we have here. Uh, That's probably what they'll be spraying all over you before you uh, sit out in the bleachers where there is no shade to be had. Oh,
2: my gosh. It, yeah, it's hot. Yeah, It's beautiful, though.
1: It was great today. Low humidity. Unbelievable. Um, so nice. Today was like so the nice. perfect day, even for the players. Like 78? Come on. 78, low humidity? That's a football player's dream. And they only got shells on. They didn't even have pants on yet. Oh, yeah. It's a day at the beach. It's glorious out here. Come on. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, and we'll have Coach on a little bit later on in camp, and uh, we'll probably talk to him a little bit about some of the sun defense measures that he takes. He's out there with long sleeves and long pants. There's another guy that's happy it's only 78 degrees. Yeah,
2: some people are genetically predisposed, you know, fair skin. Yeah, know, he's that fair plus, skin. Plus, your job has you standing out in the middle of an open field all right. day. But so. he's always
1: got that wide brim hat on. And yeah, that's
2: that's his look, you know. Hmm. I, I still... I mean, I had some a nice person here in Rochester. We mentioned you know last week where you. That's right. Somebody sent me one. Sent me a, It's not like McDermott's. It's one of those camp blue cam, camouflage. Yeah, that's, that's bucket the, hats. Yeah, that's the oh, look. I forgot this year. it. I forgot it today. I gotta bring it. It's my first day. I had to forget something. <laughs> I mean, so I forgot my bucket hat.
1: Good lord. Let me um, that we are asking you on the Twitter poll today to let us know where and how. Uh, you get your reliable information with respect to training camp. Is it A, the training camp reports you hear from here and other outlets? Is it B, your own eyes and ears? Or is it C, watching preseason games? Do you kind of hold your water until you're seeing something close to real football and then you make a call? You can let us know at 803 550 one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. The number to get on board
2: here. Seventy seven percent of you just go by the reports from training camp. I know that not a lot of you know people say your own eyes and ears. Do you go to training camp and you watch these players? And most people don't come out here every day. Um, but seventy seven percent of you get it from what you read and see online uh, or in you know. Well, yeah. And if
1: you can't make it out here, you're kind of you're stuck with that. You're stuck with that as your solution. So I, you know, I get it. And, you know, that's why we're here. We're trying to provide a service yeah, there's, there's no for lack Bills of, fans.
2: There's no lack of outlets here. I mean, every oh my every gosh. radio station and TV station in the region is set up, you know, posted up here with us.
1: Every station in the eight-county area of western New York has <laughs> dispatched someone to provide a report of some kind as to what's yeah. going on out here.
2: And, listen, I to, to their credit, though, Bills fans, only 8%, almost 9%, like 1 in 10 people – Depend on their own eyes and ears. Like Which, I'll decide for myself. I'm, most I'm, of us know. I would like I can't even do that. I'm you know? just
1: going to tell you. I'm shocked by that number. That is that is surprisingly low. <laughs> it's it's where it should be though.
2: Eh, you know, most of us don't know what we we're have looking some.
1: At. You know, we have some regular callers on the show, and I, I would expect about half of them to be like, I trust what I see, <laughs> and that's what I well, go by.
2: We do in the regular season when you watch these guys on the field on Sunday, and you got some, you know. Catalog of information. Maybe it's different then. Okay, but
1: you know, do so you think that's a thing that says we... We're
2: talking about training camp slash preseason. Right. People just go I don't know. I, I don't see it. I don't watch and, it. And maybe,
1: and maybe watching. it's tilted this far right now because today, for example, was a closed practice. Mm-hmm. It was not open to the public, and so yeah, you are kind of relying on the reports that uh, people like Steve the and thing, I are providing. The thing that I'm
2: uh,
1: amazed as that people thinking back.
2: Years past, and where they do it. Only 15% or 14% of people say I did it by watching the preseason games. So when I see those guys on the field in uniform in a game, that's where I decide.
1: I mean, that's where it gets close to real football. So you would think that, yeah, you know what? Let me hold my water, wait to make a judgment on this guy until I see him in some live action, pads on, real opponent. Even if the schemes are watered down a little bit, at least we're playing at game speed in an environment, you know, officials, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can make a better assessment at that point. I try to do some of that myself. I try. Well, let's get to, let's get in
2: pads. Let's get to the yeah. preseason and you see and what I, happens. You and I are like because we get up there and we we. I kind of don't watch the. I watch the game, of course, because I'm doing it on TV. But if I what I do most of the time when I'm not doing that. I'm watching a guy. I pick a guy. I said, yeah. who, who, It's
1: hard or, to see everything,
2: right?" So you pick a guy and you watch him for a series, and you say, "Okay, let's let's evaluate him yeah. on this one series." And then I, I do that some, but you know, because I'm doing the games on TV this year once again with Andrew Catalon, uh, you, you kind of have to you know step back and watch the all kind of watch the whole thing. So I don't get a chance to do that. But I think a lot of people do that. You pick your guy and you think, "Okay, how's he doing?"
1: Yeah, and like for people like us who are fortunate enough to be here every day, you can pick and choose because you have the time to make those individual evaluations and focus in on a guy or two on a given day. Like, for example, today there was some O-line, D-line, one-on-ones today, and I said, I'm going to look at this. I'm not going to watch, you know, you you went down and watched wide receivers against DBs one-on-one. I stayed over there and watched the big uglies Right. Work against each other, right? And then there were still some other people that went over to watch, you know, um, linebackers and running backs right. work against that. each other.
2: I did that for a little bit. Yeah. Too.
1: So yeah. you you try to canvas it as best as you can, but it is tricky. That being said, Steve, I will say, um, Greg Rousseau had a nice pass rush win today. Got up and under the offensive tackle, which for a guy that stands six foot seven, it's hard to do. It's hard to do, but man, if he. If he can establish that leverage and get that low, I mean, he yeah. lifted the guy almost clean out of his cleats, yeah, you got and guys. just walked him back. You know, Bills fans have seen guys
2: like Jason Taylor be that guy for a long, long time for the Miami Dolphins. he's in the Hall of Fame. Now uh, he was a big, tall guy like that, and you get and if you have the ability to use that to your advantage underneath, which is what exactly the opposite of what you think those guys are going to be able to do is get low enough on a tackle because of their because they're so long. But if they have that in their repertoire, then that changes the equation for the tackle. He's got to, you know, he's got to gather up and make sure he doesn't get leveraged. And when he's doing that, it, he's susceptible to what the long guy, the tall guy, can do really well, and that's swim right over the top of him. Yeah. So when he anchors down to make sure he doesn't get under him, you give him that little head fake go- like you're going to get under him when he drops down all of a sudden you you're like this you know 6 foot 7 eel and you slither around him and <laughs> you know and you constrict the quarterback
1: so greg the eel rousseau right
2: but that's you know it's just one more real weapon that a tall guy has if he can yeah if if it's, it's it's simple and it sounds simple but if you can do something that most guys your height don't and they don't feel like they have to defend against um everything else gets better in your your repertoire.
1: Because now they don't know what the heck's coming. Oh, he did that, and that's the last thing I expected. What's coming next? Right, exactly. Now you got him. Right. We have to take a break here, but when we come back, we will be joined by Bill's defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, who will give us a synopsis of the first three days of camp for his defensive unit, among a host of other topics, including the progress being made by Kyrie Elam and Terrell Bernard. We'll get to that when we return here on One Bills Live. Presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. field kind of unique he was kind of a dual role player for you steve a balloon steve a blimp we're not even in the stratosphere of normalcy all right welcome back to one bills live chris brown steve tasker along with bills defensive coordinator leslie frazier joining us fresh off of day three of training camp out on the practice field session went a little longer today coach a little extended team segment there but you uh, you guys were working some base sets today against some one receiver sets, right? And you get some uh, three linebacker looks something we don't usually see right. on your defense. Right.
3: <laughs> no, it was good. Uh, we had a, a chance to simulate almost a, some game situations, primarily first and second down. Yeah. We've been specializing these first couple of days with third down and red zone. Mm-hmm. So today. First, second down, which is where the majority of the game is played, so it was good. It was good.
2: You guys, uh, last year, and, and we talked about it a lot, you you know, it's Milano and Edmonds, they're the only two linebackers on the field like yeah. 90% of the time. Right. Do teams try and pry you out of that? Oh, yeah. their are teams <laughs> uh, and their are coaches in the off season. Yeah.
3: Steve that will ask me, hey, why do you guys, uh, who, who came up with the idea about nickel? Why do you guys run nickel on first and second down against every personnel? Right. But these offensive coaches, they don't like to see that. I mean, right. it, it changes their blocking schemes a little bit. And we're fortunate, as you know, to have a guy like we do at Nickel and Taryn, right. who is superb. So he's, little, he's got some grit. He's unique. Right. He's yeah. unique. So, yeah, it uh, it's 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 different for for teams to see us and Nickel in almost against almost every personnel group. Right. So our listeners from the jump are
1: like, how's guy here looking? How's guy here? Like they they want to know. And you know, we've seen this before. They, we, right. we saw the same thing a few years ago with Trey. Yeah. Um, everybody want to know how Trey's doing. How Trey's doing. Kair, as you know, you and, and some of your fellow coaches have said, knows press man like the back of his hand. It's yes. the playing off that is going to require a little bit of a learning curve. I realize it's only three days, right. and he's going against all pros like <laughs> Stephon Diggs in practice. <laughs> yeah. But how do you see the learning
3: curve going so far? I think it will be ongoing, Chris, uh, because of what you said. In college, he was primarily a press corner in, in our league. That's good, but in our defense and scheme, we do more than just play press, so he has mm-hmm. to learn to play off. And uh, we began that process back in the spring in our OTAs, and uh, he's made a lot of progress with some of the work he's done over the summer, and he'll continue to do that. So I think he's, he's on target. He's going to be fine.
1: He's not afraid to ask questions, too, because oh, I see him right. going to Poyer, like right, right. after plays, yeah. hey, what you know, leverage, depth, mm-hmm. whatever he's talking to him about. And, you know, Jordan and Mike are great in terms of passing yes. on the knowledge. I yes. know one of the things about this team is – you you've got a
2: reputation, and it's going to continue this year, obviously, of rotating those front guys through. Yep. You know, but other than that, it's a hard team to get on the field in the secondary. You can't. It's hard to get on the field as a linebacker and as a as a yeah. corner and a safety because those guys are so you know Entrenched. set in stone. Do you have any? Are there morale problems in these guys? Like <laughs> they're they're kind of waiting their turn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because uh, you you got some guys back yeah. there, and and you're blessed to have them. Obviously, yeah, they're great players. Yeah, but it's it, it's the tale of – two kind of position groups the guys up front who yeah. everybody gets to play right. and the guys in the back end who
3: nobody else gets to play yeah now you bring up a good point because if you're a good player which we do have some quality yeah. backups and they're waiting their turn because we got some really good Long line to yeah. get in there, right? yeah but the good thing is brandon and sean they've done a really good job of high of, of, of really signing high character guys right so they understand their roles and that's a big part of being successful as a team and, and especially on defense you know understanding your role and going out and executing your role and we've got guys that understand that and then you just got to be ready if something happens you're the next man up so you got to be ready to play so speaking of
1: that defensive front no knock on the guys that were here last year but it it just seems and appears at least from what we've seen on the field and i realize pads aren't on yet so judging d-line play is an incomplete grade right now but it feels like even though you've got big guys inside, you have athletic guys yeah. through that group. And I'm talking, you know, Settle, Jordan, we know Ed already. But these new guys, even Daquan, who can stand anybody up, he can penetrate too. Do you feel like the athletic, the athleticism collectively there might be an
3: upgrade? Yeah, yeah I, I like the way you started it off. You know, nothing against the guys we've had in the past because they play good football. Yeah. But this group, this size and athleticism, right. the combination—yeah—I don't know if we've ever had that. Christmas yeah, it's season. good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this is unique for us. Uh, yeah. I remember mean, one year we were the smallest defensive line in the NFL, yep. and well, we're a long ways from that now. So it's, right. uh, we're fortunate for yeah. sure. I
2: found myself watching practice. I was standing on the sidelines, and, and you know how I think you know they're moving from one end to the field to the other, and, and I found myself sitting behind Daquan Jones and Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle, yeah. and. I was like, man, they got some girth. Yeah, That's some girth. That's girth. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, is that yeah. a, a little bit? And you said, you know, certainly you've played defense with the smallest defensive mm-hmm. line. I don't know that you're the biggest defensive line now, but what, how does it change things for you and your team when you know it's a little bit different story up front? And, and I know you played to the strengths of your guys, and you had yeah. a good defense when you were small guys. Right. How's it change your defensive call or your, your philosophy?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, as as time goes, and, you, and Chris said it earlier, when you get the pads on, you really get a feel yeah. for where you are and what you have. And we're a few days away from that. But on paper, you know, you like to believe that because we're su- such a bigger group and more athletic that we're going to be stouter against the run and right. our split safety defenses, which will be a big help for us. Now we don't have to be as much single high, especially uh, with Tre Davis, you know, potentially you know being out, mm-hmm. uh, which we don't know for how long you need to be able to mix in a little bit more split safety than right. single high, and that means being stout against the run. And if you've got some big guys that are athletic, you think you have a chance to be better at that.
1: Right. Going back to Kyer briefly, what stood out today was there's was a little jaw jacking going back and forth <laughs> between him and the all-pro out there during yeah. team. We know team. Co- we know you and Coach McDermott. You want a defense that plays sound, but it doesn't hurt if you got a little nasty to you because you're going to be facing guys like that every single week. So to see that from the rookie, like, yeah. not backing down and going, you know, he's not – I'm not backing down. Like, yeah. you want
3: to see that, right? No, no, no question. That was one of the things when we were scouting him back in the spring that we saw in his game. I mean, in that SEC, he's playing against some top-notch yep. receivers every every week. And there were some times where there were some confrontations and he never backed down. So mm-hmm. that was part of why we liked him and mm-hmm. one of the reasons we drafted him when we did does it ever change and i thought about this you see guys particularly the first couple of days of camp
2: young guys both sides of the ball flash yeah and then like jump in with both feet and like wow this you know athletically they show up big time and then as training camp goes on some of them disappear yeah you know they and yeah. is there something behind that because it seems to happen every year to different guys and some guys you know even though they hang around on the practice squads it happens every year yeah where they come in sharp and they kind of level off is there a, have you guys kind of analyzed why that is, yeah. or can you get around that?
3: You know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly why, uh, but it also makes you cautious, and Chris <laughs> talked about it until you get the pads on. Because yeah. even going back to when we were playing, Steve, there were guys when we'd come to our mini camp. we didn't have the off-season programs that we right. had today, but when we come to our minicamp, I'd be going like, man, this guy's really, really good. And we put the pads on, <laughs> and that guy would disappear, and you'd go like, oh, man. Yeah. So I've learned over the years. Until you get the pads on, don't get too high about a guy. You know, it just – the pads change a lot of things. I was
2: telling yeah. somebody today, I was an all-world 7-on-7 seven seven player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was elite. I was yeah. elite. Yeah. I was uh, elite. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we talked to Coach this morning about um, Ken and Matt Smiley getting up to speed as new coordinators here and the fact that you don't really know Until that play clock's counting down and you gotta make a call. Now, I did ask Coach, can you just explain the opportunities that exist in practice? And he talked about your call it segments, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you guys, as coordinators, get to call it in real time to be as game like as possible. What is the interplay, though, between you and maybe Ken? Are there conversations before practice where he might say, hey, you know, I wanna work on this? Do you have any – like, I'm, I'm, i am i got to believe he wants to bounce stuff off of you as a defensive mind right. in terms of things that he wants to call in those call-it segments.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And then there, there are situations like that, and we had some of those back in OTAs in the spring where there are certain things he would like to see from us, mm-hmm. and we'd oblige because it obviously helps us if, yes. if we can help them, and vice versa. There are times I'm going to ask him, for example – hey, Kenny, we really need to see maybe more empty today. Can you give us a little bit more empty uh, okay. formations and uh, so we can work on a few things? So, yeah, there's some dialogue like that between the two of us to help both units.
1: Now, with those call-it segments, does the offense get to kind of dictate or – might sean allow you to kind of take the lead sometimes and put your stuff out there before and force can't because it's usually the other way around you're always reacting i'm wondering if this is one of the few times where you get to dictate a little uh, bit that doesn't happen very often it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's we're
0: we're yeah. still in a reaction Game. mode. yeah <laughs> yeah
2: yeah you know you're in the reaction mode when they spot the ball and it's in your own end zone right <laughs> right rarely, the whole <laughs> the, the series starts exactly <laughs> right it starts in the end zone, exactly right. so, so, the end zone. yeah you rarely see field position that poor but right right yeah and. Do you do you ever get to the point where uh, you think at, at this point at camp? And I want to know how it is at this point in the history of the NFL, where your installs are. Do you do all of that? You know what? What? It, where are you at with how much of the playbook is in? How much of the, is it all in? And now you're honing it and, and finding yeah. out when you can use it and where. Or just give the give the listeners an idea of where we're at at this point in history, at this point of the season for an NFL team. Mm-hmm. How does all that install and the timeline of getting it all in?
3: Yeah. We're one of those uh, teams where we really put a lot into the off-season program, Steve. Uh, We we, we preach to our guys that that, those OTAs, that phase one, phase two, that's where we lay our foundation for the season. So if we lay a good foundation, when things happen during the season, which they are, there's going to be some adversity. If we've laid a good foundation, we'll be able to get through some of that adversity we'll face in the season. So... Once we get to training camp, we're, we're really repeating some of the things we've done in OTAs. We've done our installation in OTAs. We've pretty much gotten everything in with the exception of maybe one or two things. And then we're repeating that uh, throughout training camp, trying to build the reps up and get the confidence and get our guys to play fast. And I think that's one of the reasons traditionally we've been able to get off to a good start in September because of the fact we've taken phase one, phase two, phase three of the offseason serious. <laughs> and, and we try to get our work done. And, and treat training camp the same way.
2: Yeah, I think the last two, maybe three years you've been, or at least three of the last four years, you've been four and one out of mm-hmm. September. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really important and to, to get off to a fast start and be oh, hitting on yeah. all cylinders because
3: yeah. <laughs> week
2: one is exactly the same as week 17. They count right. the same. Yeah. They count
3: the same, and, and we know it's going to be a bump in the road along the way. So if you can do a good job early on, you know, when November, December comes, uh, when those games pin <laughs> them out a little bit more, right. uh, because you've done a good job early, right. uh, you can weather the storm a little bit if, you, if something goes wrong in mid-season or right. a little bit later.
1: The other rookie that a lot of our fans are asking us about is Terrell Bernard. Yeah. And I don't I, – got a much more trained eye than I do. But it just seems, at least in the early going here, he sees it quickly. Like yeah. the anticipation skills, especially for a rookie – He seems to be advanced in that area. Would you agree with that?
3: Oh, absolutely. That was one of the things we saw when he was at Baylor. He was one of those guys who was really good at anticipating and really putting himself in position to make plays. And that's showing up. Uh, We saw it in the OTAs. We're seeing it now in these early days of training camp. He's a very smart player. Uh, He has a good feel for the game. And you combine that with his athleticism, you have a chance to have a really good player. Because he just,
1: I mean, sometimes rookies, you'll see it on the field, like, they're not 100% sure. They don't right. trust it. He seems to be confident and trust it and yeah.
3: go. Yeah. He spends a lot of time, Chris, studying. Okay. And then, you know, he's one of those guys who can take the classroom to the grass. And some guys, they struggle in doing that. Mm. But once he learns it and he goes on the field, I mean, he's, he's pretty confident about what he knows. And then he when he sees something, he reacts to it yeah. like right now.
2: It's interesting, too, because he you get this guy in there and he's playing the same position as Tremaine. Yeah. They couldn't be more different, right? You know, yeah. body type wise, right? yeah. Because he's a small, quick—you know—he's he's this instinctive player. Like, go out and just play. And then Tremaine is such—you know—he's the guy we. He's know. a condor. He's, he's a condor. Oh yeah. And he's <laughs> and he's, he's, he's kind of he's like A B C's real That's down. Right. He's got every, and plus you know he, you know he elevates everybody. Right? Tremaine elevates everybody because they're all lined up right and they're all you know on the same page. Right. Two completely different guy. Now, say for instance, the, the rookie gets a chance to back up Tremaine. Mm-hmm. Is that cool? I mean, because you got two different guys that play a different kind of football, play in the same position, one backs up the other. What happens when something does happen and all of a sudden either one or the other has got to play?
3: Yeah. You know, I I think it's um, just a plus for Thrill to have a chance to watch Tremaine, see how he handles the meetings, Uh, take a look at the way he handles the walkthroughs. And as you mentioned, he's a guy who's kind of like by the book.
0: Yeah. You need that,
3: you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and the players look up to Tremaine. They trust Tremaine when he says – uh, we're going to line up to the left or we're going to line up to the right. They're not question the questions. Yeah, yeah. They, they know Tremaine knows what he's talking about and he's going to get them lined up. Well, for a young guy coming in to see that uh, and, and, and see the respect that Tremaine has, I mean, who better to learn from? Oh, so absolutely. if something were to happen to Tremaine, which we hope, you know, he plays all 17 games, no injuries this season. All 22 uh, games. All already. 22 <laughs> past, 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 the, past the regular season. Uh, you know, you, 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 because of that, you, you think a guy like a balin or Terrell, those guys will be able to step in uh, as they're learning from veterans like Matt along with Tremaine.
1: Coach, it's always good to sit down and chat with you, especially this time of year when we're trying to get a clearer picture as to what's going on. So thanks for helping us out today. Look forward to talking to you later on in the season. That's defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier joining us here. We're back with more in a moment on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And some NFL news coming down the pike here in the last half hour or so. ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting that San Francisco 49ers GM John Lynch, along with head coach Kyle Shanahan, met this morning with Jimmy Garoppolo, who, as you know, has been rehabbing from an off-season shoulder surgery and basically has been, for all intents and purposes, medically cleared. That was last week. This week, the three men sat down together, according to Schefter, and after the meeting, Shanahan essentially told reporters, we've moved on to Trey Lance. So, basically, thanks for coming, Jimmy G. Garoppolo's out
2: as the starter anyway. And and it's the, not the a surprise. Been, yeah, the writing's been on the wall, but to have the coaching staffs come out this early in camp say, listen, Trey Lance is going to be our starting quarterback, um, says a lot. Teams now, I mean, here's, here's what you're looking at, 31 other teams, you know, the Bills being one of them, I'm just saying. All these teams that are looking for a quarterback will now have a choice to make. If they want to get Jimmy Garoppolo, if he's going to be an upgrade, like in Carolina or New Orleans or Seattle. whoever in you know, Seattle, they can sit back and say, okay, oh, face it, Seattle knows him as well as any other team, any opponent who's played him because they play him twice a year. Um, so Seattle and all these teams could sit back and say, okay, do we want? Do we really want to be the team that gets him? If we do, we're going to trade for him because he's obviously done in San Francisco. If they don't, they're going to say, "Listen, we'll take him, but I don't want to trade anything for him." So they're going to have to take a chance on him hitting the free agent market, which means then they're going to have to be the highest bidder. Now the guy's making thirty plus a year, so you're not maybe, probably not going to have to go that high, but you're going to have to jump. Hmm.
1: San Francisco wants to get him off the roster. They made it plain today. Um, you're not carrying a backup that's going to cost you $27 million plus. That's just not good economics, even in today's NFL.
2: Well, tumps, some teams will do it if the other guy's not making anything. Yeah. But Trey Lance is in the, what, third year of a first-round
1: quarterback? Second year. Second year. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how long it takes for the Niners to find a new home. For Jimmy G and where that might be. What's
2: your call, Brian? Is Jimmy going to take snaps this year?
1: I think if Seattle makes the trade, yes. Where else? I don't know that there's any other places where he can land and definitively be the guy walking in the door. Detroit? I don't know. Is he that much better than... Jared Goff? I don't know that he is. I don't know that he is. Mm -hmm. So I I don't see too many destinations left. Yeah. So it is puzzling that they waited until now to come out with this. I mean, this was, as you said, this was kind of the plan. I guess Houston, yeah. And a lot of people have connected those dots. Yeah. You know, because Nick Casario, who's in the front office there, is the GM of the Texans obviously was in the New England front office when they drafted Jimmy G. So, Atlanta. There's a familiarity there. I would take Jimmy G over Marcus Mariota. Right. Um, Washington. I just don't know that Atlanta is looking to contend this year, you know? Washington might take him. I suppose you can make an argument for that, yeah. You know? There's some places out there. Yeah. You know? Um, and
2: all of them will... It's their job. I mean, if you're a GM, you're going to kick the. T- if you're a GM in Washington, Seattle, Atlanta, uh, Detroit, I don't know the Giants in Carolina. I Don't they want to stir that pot? I kind of Probably doubt it at not. this point. But all those other teams—Detroit, uh, Atlanta, Seattle, Washington—they're um, going to kick the tires on
1: the guy. All right. Right? Yeah. I mean, I can't. Think Atlanta's a-, a clear upgrade. Houston is another. Atlanta's one. a clear upgrade. Right. I forgot about that. Houston, yes.
2: Maybe uh, Davis Mills. Nice they like kid. Davis Mills. That's fine. They can like him, uh, and you know, not to be, dumb, but Cleveland might kick the
1: tires on Jimmy G. No, oh an, and then they got oh god, another quarterback. They just signed Josh Rosen last week to be the fourth guy in there. Yeah, Josh, yeah, well, I I don't, I don't think much of him either. Why would you have signed that guy I'd if have, you had?
2: You'd rather have Johnny Manziel. Than
1: they've had enough quarterback trading issues between the guy have, they brought in. I don't want to get into it. the guy they moved.
2: <laughs> I don't want to get into making jokes about it, but still. I'm, I'm just saying, if you're a GM of an NFL team, you got I like your thought players. on Atlanta.
1: I, I think that could be a possibility, but we'll, we'll have to see um, whether Arthur Smith Arth- thinks that guy's an upgrade. I do. I don't know yes. if he does.
2: Who's there? Uh, Marcus Mariota? Yeah. Because I, I, you know, um, when he left New England, the word on him was that he had those intangibles. Guys liked playing with him and for him and stuff. Now, I don't know that you know, his time in San Francisco hasn't, you know, sullied that perception of him. But I think the guys that play with him like him well enough.
1: I mean, they drafted Desmond Ritter in the third round, uh, out of Cincinnati. And so a lot of people look at Marcus Mariota as a stopgap bridge quarterback, whatever term you choose to use. Jimmy G would be a better one. He'd be a better stopgap. Mm -hmm. The question is, are you trading for that guy and giving up assets for a guy that's only going to be a stopgap? Right. That's, that's the thing. It's I like, think, Why don't we just take our lumps here this year, and then next year we'll get Ritter on the field, and then we'll try to build from there. We'll see. I, I mean, wonder.
2: That, I wonder. That, that's the question: is what's it going to cost you, and do you want you know you want to make sure you get him, or are you just going to wait and see yeah. what it's going to cost you? I think. I think most of these guys just say, "Okay, I know you're going to cut him at the end of camp. We'll just wait and see." Yeah. But then you're you know, then you're not you. you He's coming into a new system. He's got to learn and get up to speed and all of that stuff. He's got to learn everything. You want him in there as fast as possible so he can get started in training camp Yeah. And start learning stuff.
1: Speaking of the Niners, there is other news concerning them. 49ers GM John Lynch tells San Francisco media that he's had productive talks with Debo Samuel's agent. And though nothing is imminent, he's hopeful the team will have a new deal to announce in the near future. So... As we remember, there was, and still is, a standing trade request from Debo Samuel to get the heck out of Dodge in San Francisco. And the Niners are like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Right. Uh, so it looks like progress has been made between the Niners and Debo Samuel's camp. And we'll see what comes of it. What kind of money do you think he gets? Do you think he gets Tyreek Hill money?
2: That's a really good question. I don't,
1: I don't think he does. Here's the thing: I, If you're going to trade for a guy like
2: Debo Samuel's, and give him the kind of money he's asking. Well, they're for. trying to hold on to him. Here's the question you got to ask yourself: Is this the kind of guy that's going to take it out of gear when he gets the money? Uh, I don't think he is. I don't know, but he's certainly strong, uh, strong personality and confident enough to say, you know, I you know, trade me or you know, give me the money. Yeah, um, that's a big statement from a young player. I don't know if that will have some residual effects even if they give him the money. Well,
1: he's already talking about the whole reason he wanted out of San Francisco is because he didn't want to be utilized in the fashion that he's been utilized because he knows his body's taking a lot of extra hits, you know, lining him up in the backfield and doing all that stuff besides just making him a receiver. Not to mention he's had some return work as well. I mean, he was their do-everything guy, and he took a lot of lumps doing it. And I think after this season he's like, that was tough. Pay I don't me. know if I want to be doing all of that stuff. Either pay me unless or you're going to pay me. me an exorbitant amount of money, right? Where I can make in four years. The problem is what I might make elsewhere in seven or eight. Problem is, does he? Here's the th- problem, and I, all co-
2: coaches and GMs know this, and some fans can observe it too. When a guy is getting physically beat up and says, "You got to pay me if you want me to take this punishment." Once you pay him, he's not going to take the he's punishment. He's not going to take the punishment either. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Thanks, I, that was good." You know, you're paying him for what he's already done, because he's not. You're not going to get that out of him. Now, right. there's certain guys that it doesn't matter. The money is irrelevant to them. They're going to come out and they're going to, you know, they're going to run through the brick wall anyway. But it's really, and we've talked about it. We, you know, Leslie Fraser. I mean, you get these guys in there, and that, all they do is push against each other and bang. It's it's a physically brutal game, and it's just too easy to take a deep breath and just not do it as hard as you once did. Once you've got the money in the
1: bank. Seahawks star running back Chris Carson retiring from the NFL due to a neck injury that, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, he is not going to make an official retirement statement because he's hoping his neck may dramatically improve. But right now, that does not appear to be the case. So Seattle is going to officially release him with a failed physical designation under the CBA that allows Carson to receive several million dollars in injury protection benefits. So the team gives him that designation, so he is eligible for the insurance monies that he will be paid based on what the remainder of his contract was. Now, he doesn't have to officially retire, but with the team giving him that designation, he's open to getting those payments. So, And it's not like Seattle's caught with their pants down without having Chris Carson in the fold. They drafted Kenneth Walker, the running back out of Michigan State, in the second round last this past draft. And they re-signed free agent Rashad Penny, so they have runners in the stable. Uh, they just will not, it appears, have the guy who has been their primary back for the better part of the last three seasons. That's rough, too. You hate to see a guy
2: have to put his whole career
1: on pause,
2: um, waiting to get cleared like that. Particularly with something uh, you know as important as your neck. Um, kind of important. Yes, that's too bad. But, you know, good, good on the Seahawks for uh, doing right by him, giving him a chance to get it back on track and, and be financially secure while he's doing yeah. it uh, and giving him a chance to maybe uh, resurrect his career at a later date.
1: We did want to take an opportunity now, while we have a little bit of time, to pass along Micah Hyde's interview session with the media after practice today. So without further ado, here is Micah addressing the media.
4: The defensive line batted down some passes
0: today. Um, how are they making your job easier already? Through just a couple practices? Um, you know, we knew uh, coming into this, obviously through OTAs and um, many camp that uh, you know defense was gonna be a gonna be a problem. So um, you know those guys up front, they're working. Um, they got great coaches, uh, great players up there, and so you know we know that there's a uh, there's gonna be some opportunities for us on the back end because of it. With
2: a
4: lot of you guys on the roster, how do you help get them up to speed?
0: You know there are new guys on the roster, but it it doesn't it doesn't feel like that. Um, you know we obviously have our our guys that have been around here for the last five six years, um, then sprinkling you know a few other guys, but it, it really doesn't feel like there's you know that many new guys on the roster. So, um, you know coming back here just it just feels like home. You know everyone's joking around, having fun, making fun of each other, and that's how it's always been.
4: As we have all these phases of the offseason, and in every phase you're kind of working on something different. What is like the kind of specific mindset once you finally get to camp? And how does it differentiate from, like, OTAs, minicamp, and all that
0: other stuff? Well, I think that training camp is more of, like, just a mental grind. The mental grind and also, you know, coming together as a team. You know, throughout OTAs and minicamp, you know, you can – you're there for a few hours. You know, you're hanging out and stuff like that. But, you know, we're here all day, every day, working out, practicing together, which is, you know, tough. Usually it's, you know, hot, but, you know, the weather's taking care of us. And then, you know, from there, having meetings all day and – you know, in between meetings, you have breaks so you you know can hang out with guys, play cards, get to know people, get to know young guys. Um, and at night, you know you have snack and all that stuff too. So you just around each other all the time. And then once we get to the dorms, we're also you know hanging out, doing the same thing. Yeah, I heard you know I heard guys upstairs yesterday arguing about ping pong um, and and all that type of stuff. So that's just what we do. And you know it's just it's fun to be around everybody and and get to uh, get to know everyone. And that's what training camp's for. Like, I know it's
4: only been a couple days of camp so far, but. In those couple of days, what more have you learned about Kyer Elam
0: and just getting to know him more? What more have I learned? Um, I don't think I've learned anything more necessarily. I think you know, first day I met him, you could tell he's just a, a young guy that's listening and wants to get better. Um, and that's how he's been these, these first couple of days. Um, you know, he's he's all ears. He wants to know. He wants to learn from the older guys of of, of how to get better and what to do. Um, So I don't think I've learned anything. Anything new? It's just been you know. That's just that's just how he is. Uh, Whether it's meetings, he's he's sitting next to us. He's asking us questions um, on the field after each play. He's asking us questions. So um, you know, I I think that's a young guy. um, You know, asking the older guys. You know, uh, you know how they go about business. Whether if it's after after uh, practice, you know, getting some work in or or extra film work stuff like that. develop that
4: chemistry with him. Maybe try to speed it up. Is it simply reps, or are there other things you can do? Because certainly you had some great continuity with you, Levi, Trey. Yeah. And
0: both. Uh, well, I think that uh, I think with K, he's he's been fortunate enough to be put in a position, you know, to whether it's the you know, coaches that we have in the secondary on defense. Um, or even the players, you know, he's he's able to step in right now with some guys that have been together for a long time. And and so he hears what we're talking about. He hears how we see things in meetings. And so, um, you know, he can paint the picture himself and just by asking the questions that he asks. So um, I think I, I think, you know, I can't speak for him, but I feel like, you know, if I'm a young guy in his position, I'd be real fortunate to, to step in that position. And um, we're not asking him to be, you know, anything that he's not. Just go out there and play your ball. He's going to have mistakes. Every rookie does my rookie year. Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, but as long as you learn from those mistakes, you'll be fine. Oh God, this might be a better question for the coaches, but just being a leader
4: in this secondary, how do you guys balance, you know, maybe not putting too much on his plate right away and not putting too much pressure on him, but also there is a need for him to get up to speed quickly here?
0: Um, honestly, everybody has a sense of urgency. Um... You know, I feel like with him, obviously being a young guy, like you said, get up to speed quick. Myself, playing at a high level like I've been able to do. Same thing for Poe, same thing for Travis, Terrence, everybody. So we all have our things that we have to work on. Um, and, I, and I can honestly say, when I step on the football field with those guys, um, I don't feel like I have to be anything I'm not. Just play my ball because I know they're going to take care of their business. So, you know, that's kind of like the the, um, the um, thing that calms me down when I get out there. So I think that same thing for him. Like, just go out there and, and play your ball and, you know, uh, know the defense. As long as you know the defense it can put you in a position to make plays, and you know from there, you got to win your one-on-ones. Um, so that's just what we're telling them. He's he's tens a of, of, of oh, no, you. Yeah, played tens of
1: thousands of snaps with Jordan Pointer What's it like when Jaquan's
0: out there with you? Uh, it, you know, it's obviously it's not you know 10,000 snaps, but kwan has been here for a while. Um, you know, he's been in the meetings with us. He's talked ball with us plenty of times. Um, you know, obviously a great player also. So, you know, when he steps in, we don't skip a beat. You know, we all we all learn from each other. We all talk um, as if you know it's just me and Poe out there. So, Quan's um, really coming along. I think he has a lot to show in this uh, you know this season, um, and I'm excited for him.
4: You've played a lot of snaps behind Tremaine Edmonds. We just got a chance to talk to him. We always tend to ask him about splash plays, big plays. Is he capable of those? Talent-wise,
1: you know what his role is in the defense. Do you guys? ever talk about things like that with him
4: or is is do you think it's common
0: for him um i feel like with with main um obviously he's a sideline to sideline guy can make tackles and all that type of stuff i i know that um you know himself in in past years he's um talked about you know obviously catching the football and, and making plays that way but you know working on the drugs and stuff with him um even in you know these last couple of days in training camp you could tell he's been doing that um and not just him milano too like they you know we do the the, the jugs a lot during the season and, you know, they've, they've kind of picked up on what we've been able to do. So um, I know those plays will come. You know, you can't force them. You can't get out of position to try to make those plays just stay within the defense and um, you know, man's going to be a, a huge playmaker for us like he always, like he always has been. Like
1: I Sean talked earlier about how difficult it can be for a guy
2: like Knox. I've been going through the contract stuff for the first time. But for someone like yourself who's been through it a couple of times and Jordan going through it now for the third time, how much easier did that get?
0: Um I, I think that you know at the end of the day you always got you always got to understand this is a business um you know we, we're all we're all guys that have been playing football our entire life for the, the the fun of the game and then you get put in the position that you have to take care of your family and you know you have to do what's best for yourself it's it's a very awkward thing to to be a part of not to mention you know negotiations with your you know agent and front all that type of stuff, um, is is it's kind of a weird situation to be in because we've never really f- is been in that position for the first time like you said those guys, um, but at the end of the day you kind of just got to put your head down and do what you've been doing your entire life and that's just play football like you can't really worry about that stuff um, you know your your agent and and um, you know guys in the front office going to take care of it so you can't really pay attention to it.
2: How's your approach has been from? addressing camp from your
0: rookie year up to now I mean, what's, what's that approach going on for you mm. well rookie year I was trying to just survive I was just trying to make it um I, I didn't really know anything I was just you know out there just trying to trying to make some plays um now you know I think I, I've developed a routine throughout the last couple of years to to be able to put me in position you know come training camp to mentally and physically get ready for football um, and i still understand that it's a process now until the end of the season it's a process like i'm gonna make mistakes now even though it's year 10 i'm gonna still make mistakes but um you know i think that i'm able to to pick up on them you know a lot quicker just being in year 10 but um yeah I, you know it that was such a long time ago that it's it's hard to even you know remember half the stuff but i was trying to survive then now i'm trying to um you know make plays continue to be in that process and get the guys around me better the edge do the same as you yes think? it is, hundred percent. It might even be worse. Um, it might even be worse just I know, you know, you know, if football is a uh, football is a game you don't play for for thirty years. Um, and so I have that urgency now that I uh, and I told you guys this last year, I, I wanna win a Super Bowl. A lot of my my friends um, have rings. Uh, you know, I see guys that I work out with that have that have rings and you know, I'm I'm competitive. Um, I feel like I work harder than those guys and they got rings so I feel like I should I should have one. So um, what Was that?
1: Which friend is most eager to show you the ring?
0: Uh, I'm not gonna put guys on blast. <laughs> I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna put put guys on blast. But um, you know, there's a few guys that that have some rings that you know aren't afraid to uh, to talk about it. And um, just the whole experience. And you know, I understand it. You know, I I know that if uh, uh we'll when, one day, you know, I get one. I'm not gonna shut up about it either. So uh, I understand.
1: All right, Micah Hyde saying, Hey, get me a ring. That's why I'm here for year ten. And uh, Feels he works harder than just about anybody else to try to get one. So I hope he's right. Hope it happens for him. Yeah.
2: At, well, he's sitting in a pretty good spot uh, yeah. at, from this end of the season. Yeah, he's so, in the right place. Uh, yeah, so we'll see if uh, if they can uh, close the deal this year. It's not easy to do. Uh, they've been on the doorstep for a while now. We'll yeah. see if they
1: can cross that threshold. We have to take a break here. One more segment to go. And when we come back, what did Bill Belichick – say about second year quarterback mac jones we'll tell you when we return here on one bills live presented by collider health it's buffalo bills radio all right we close today's show with what Patriots head coach Bill Belichick said about second year quarterback Mac Jones he said he's made or he's seen dramatic improvement in Mac Jones this offseason he said Jones is starting from a much much higher point this year than last year okay that i could see that being the case sure. the funny thing is the new england media is saying this is more that Bill Belichick has said about Mac Jones than he ever said positive about Tom Brady in twenty years.
2: Well, that doesn't mean anything.
1: He never threw
2: bouquets it, at well, Tom Brady. That's because Tom Brady thrived on not, on, on the challenge, on negative I mean, reinforcement. Spent, yes, he did. And so, and Mac Jones may be somebody who needs to have his back patted or, or his tummy rubbed to make him play better. <laughs> so, it, that's I'm serious. A coach knows how how to motivate his guys, and if and if Mac Jones thrives on positive reinforcement, Bill Belichick's going to give it to him. Yeah, and you're going to see Bill Belichick throwing bouquets at this if that's what makes him tick because that's the way that's the way this game works. Yeah, and that's what head coaches do they they find out what motivates a guy and they give it to him, and they get a, you know they get better play because of it.
1: I have seen a lot of the social media posts about Mac Jones trimming down. Uh, he's in better physical shape he's added strength to his upper body all those things are good the general consensus up there is they're going to have a more balanced attack so we'll see if that is in fact the case i never really saw any one person stand out last year so i don't really know how it's going to be different but we shall see that's going to do it for us here on a tuesday steve and i'll see you right back here same bad time same bad channel on wednesday at one